This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start so let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. We are joined with none other than the legend himself, Mr. Fred Eichler. Fred, how are you, man? I'm doing great, buddy. We uh having fun in the middle of calving, so it's a little busy for the boys right now, but... Uh, but we're still getting out, doing a little hunting, having some fun. Now, are you excited that your boys are now old enough to take care of some of that stuff so you don't have to? I cannot even tell you how excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is awesome, man. I, I even I walked in from uh, from the ranch and I, I told Trent, who's 16, I said, Trent, hop with the tractor and go feed those other cows. And boy, he boom, he was on that. So yeah, it's <laughs> great that uh, all the boys are older now and they're carrying calves out of the field, taking care of them. You know, we ran one into the chutes the other day, milked its mom so yeah, it's uh, it's great to have them taking care of a lot of that. Wonderful. Now for this for this second episode in our traditional series, uh, we've got my brother Aaron on, who is the uh, the new to bow hunting guy, and so Fred is going to teach us um, about traditional archery from two different standpoints: the standpoint of having uh, been familiar with the compound, and then the the viewpoint of being brand new to archery. So, uh, Fred, before we dive in too far. Did you watch the Super Bowl last night? No. Okay. You didn't um, miss anything. You didn't miss a thing. <laughs> but, Once we uh, started kneeling, I was totally out. <laughs> I I 100% understand and agree with you, my friend. Um, well, I you know, it makes more sense um, for me to tell you this, that, you know, I, I look at everything through the lens of of hunting almost. And, uh, you know, I don't know that... that uh, that you'll accept this compliment, but I view you as the Tom Brady of bow hunting. Uh, just the, the legend, uh, the guy who's, who does it and does it well. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that, man. I, I just have a lot of fun and it, you know, like anything, it's, it's something I'm passionate about. So it, it makes it fun every day. I mean, when you love doing it, it makes it, it makes it fun. Yes, sir. Now this traditional series is, 
Um, I, I know I mentioned in the first episode, but this traditional series is brought to you by our friends over at Three Rivers Archery. I know, Fred, you're a fan of those guys, and uh, as as we all should be because they are absolutely uh, just a, a powerhouse for anybody trying to get into traditional archery uh, or for anybody who's been in it their entire lives. So Three Rivers Archery, big shout-out to those guys. Now, Fred, we're going to talk through um, the setup of a bow. So we're going to look at this through the eyes of we just got a brand new bow. What are the steps we take to set that bow up? Now, not necessarily um, selecting arrows and stuff, because we'll get into that in another episode, but the actual setup of that bow. Um, So fresh out of the box, what do you do when you get a new recurve? Man, great question. So, well, you know, one of the, one of the first things I do is always read the owner's manual. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, a lot of guys tend to throw stuff out like that away, and there really are some safety concerns, especially for somebody that that's new and, and hasn't been around them. So, you know, don't trust that you know or that your buddy knows. Go through the manual. Go through the safety stuff that comes with it and, and read it, kind of get to know it. Um, after that, the good news is the majority of recurves, longbows, and things like that are very similar, um, very different from compounds. But the majority of your recurves and longbows are similar in your setup. So the first thing I do is I inspect everything, make sure everything's in good shape. Um, you know, I don't notice anything that that could cause an issue. Um, the next thing I do is, you know, I, I try and I try and do a couple things. One, I like moleskin on my limbs. Uh, I think it quiets the bow down a little bit. So I think I've got some stuff on YouTube there that shows that, but I, I basically cut a piece about six to seven inches long uh, that's tapered uh, at the same angle as my limb. And limbs, and we'll use a, a bare recurve, for example, and you know most of them have a little bit of a groove, a string groove that you can see. Um, and I'd literally take that moleskin, put the top of it starting right at that string groove, and then I go down the limb about seven inches and just stick it to both limbs. So once I have a piece of moleskin on both limbs, then I'm going to go ahead and if it's a one piece, of course, it's already ready to go for a string. If it's a takedown, I'm going to go ahead and either attach it or tighten my bolts and make sure it's ready. One of the things I like to do is put a little bit of wax um, on my threads if it is a takedown or if it's a latch system uh, like, you know, the Fred Bear takedown system, I'll put a little wax on the sides of the of the limbs just to help, you know, any noise that would possibly be there, um, any touching surfaces, it'll just quiet that down. Now, Fred, just so you know, um, Aaron is going to be shooting the Bear Grizzly. I am going to be shooting the uh, Mag Riser. So um, two different angles there. He'll be shooting a, a single piece. I'll be shooting the takedown. Now, what what kind of you, – you mentioned, like, the imperfections. Now, I know, like, when I get my compound out, I'm really looking at the limbs to make sure there's no fractures in the limbs or anything. Um is that the only kind of thing you're looking at with a recurve as far as, you know, imperfections or things that might cause issues? Exactly. It would be super rare that there is, but yes, I do a visual inspection of the bow riser and limbs, uh, just like you would your vehicle or anything else, especially the first time you get into it. Or, you know, I I look at it like that rental car deal. When you're getting into a rental car, kind of walk around it, make sure there's no damage. So that's what I'm doing. This is, you know, whether it's a new bow or used bow, um, you know, I kind of take a look at everything, make sure there's no, you know, no, no damage that I can see. So then you want to get yourself a bow stringer. Um, now a lot of guys string it up without using a stringer. Um, Frank Scott, I used to watch Frank Scott who worked for bear archery 
And even in his 70s, he could take and string by hand, um, you know, up to a 70-pound recurve used to just blow me away without a stringer. However, that is not the smart way to do it. <laughs> the smarter and safer way to do it is with a bow stringer. Um, and you want to read the directions to make sure you put that on correctly. Uh, but you've got a big loop and a small loop uh, and pretty much all your longbow and recurve strings. Uh, the larger loop uh, goes on the top um, limb and the smaller loop goes on the bottom. So what you want to do is slide that top loop over first, about quarter of the way down the limb, then hook up the smaller loop on the bottom limb, and then you stretch that top loop tight. And then you're going to apply your bow stringer. You're going to put that little cup over the bottom limb. You're going to put it, usually most of them attached to the limb itself on the top. And then you stand on it and you slowly pull it up. Now, you can do this by yourself, but it makes it even easier if you've got somebody else with you, um, you know, kid, wife, buddy, whatever. So you can put two hands on the bow, slowly pick it up, and slide that top string or that larger string loop over the top limb. Then you just want to make sure everything's lined up, visually inspect it, that it's totally on both the loops correctly. And now you've got your bow strung, and you're ready for the next step. Can I ask a clarifying question? Heck yeah, Aaron. Um, you mentioned the, the bigger loop and the smaller loop. That was on the string itself, right? Not the stringer? Right. Good question. Okay. okay. That's on the bow string itself. There's a, a large loop and a, and a smaller loop. And the top, the larger loop always goes on the top of the bow, which okay. would be, if you were holding the bow in your hand to shoot it, that would be your top limb. See, I, I've only, and I, I'm by no means uh, any sort of, of, expert on recurves i've only been shooting for about six months fred i did i did shoot my first animal with a recurve though um shot a hog that was exciting um that that just boosts your confidence you know up until that point it's almost just like can this be done you know (laughs) am i good enough um and so that just boosts my confidence and lets me know you know I'm, i'm good to go um but I will say this. I never heard that about the, the bigger loop on top of the string and the smaller loop on the bottom. I never knew that. Um, so that's that's good to know because I, I really did uh, one time think to myself, I'm like, I wonder if it matters which way it goes. Um, now, going back, now that you have the string on your bow, does that moleskin, does your string touch that at all, or do you have it right underneath where your string starts to separate from the limb? Great question. It does. So on the very top of it, it barely, you know, it's just touching it. But the whole design there is um, like they used to, guys would use different things, brush buttons or things like that. It just kind of helps keep the limb slap down because that string is going to contact the limbs and that moleskin kind of deadens that slap. You know, another step that that I've done as well um, is some guys will actually dip their string in lacquer thinner to take off any excess wax. Um, which will make the string even quieter again. But I found that just the moleskin works fine for me. So why would they take off wax from their string? Don't you want to wax your string? No, great, great point. And you do want to wax your string, but some guys will dip it just the the very ends of it. And the reason is it makes the string a little softer, takes the wax out okay. of it. So it's not as hard. So in other words, uh, if you have wax on your string and it's super cold, that wax, if you have a lot of wax in it, makes it stiffer and a little bit more brittle, and it tends to hit harder. It makes a louder noise when it hits the limb of the Gotcha. Bow. Okay. So some guys will take that out, 
just so it's a little quieter. Now that that leads me to my next question uh, on a recurve. How often do you wax your string? I'm really bad, and I don't wax mine until I start to see little frays coming out, and that it desperately needs it. Um, right. You know, some guys like to routinely do it, but I shoot my strings until I see okay, it's it's definitely real dry and it needs some wax. Um, I make sure I try and put it on in a room temperature because um, it'll soak into the string a little better. And I don't over apply it. I just put some wax, rub it in with my hand, and uh, you know then I'm good to go usually. Now I think and and Aaron, if you've got any questions along the way, you know Fred, I told him I said don't be afraid to ask the stupid questions uh, because here's my here's my thought, Fred, and maybe maybe you can shed some light on this. I feel like a lot of people have a barrier into getting into archery because they're afraid to ask questions. They don't want to walk into a bow shop and and feel as though they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And nope. so, so a lot of guys just think, well, uh, you know, never mind. Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't know enough about it. I'm not, you know, I don't want to ask a question and everybody think I'm dumb. Um, because I can promise you, throughout this traditional series, I will ask a stupid question. <laughs> yeah, no such thing. Like you said, I mean, that's the great thing about learning and. You know, the great thing of having things like your podcast where guys can look it up and, you know, learn a little bit. Like, you know, like you said just now, as you pointed out, all, all traditional strings are made with a little larger loop. So, you know, which end is the top and then the serving matches up better with the shelf. So, you know, there's tiny little things like that, that unless somebody told you, a lot of people wouldn't know. I think he just wants me to ask all the stupid questions so he can look better than me as his so older brother. I don't brother. have to. Absolutely. So I don't have to. I love it. No, I uh, and, and I think I shared this with you our first time I I recorded with you. Um, I I got into I wanted to get into shooting a recurve because of the simplicity, but as I started googling and 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 diving in and trying to learn as much as I could, I figured out that this can get about as complex as you want it to get. Well, and that's exactly right. It's like a lot of things you can just you can delve into it, but the things that we're going to go over today. You know, like I said, on setting it up, on brace height, center shot, you know what I mean, tiller, you know, some of that stuff, that's that's really the stuff you have to know. That's kind of like the difference between knowing that your vehicle needs oil, air pressure, and gasoline versus a guy that wants to, uh, you know, do his own carburetor rebuild. So right. I'm going to basics for you guys to be ready to hop into that vehicle and drive or to grab that longbow and recurve and start shooting um, you know, not only safely, but be able to have some fun with it. And then, of course, from there, yeah, you can take it a lot of different ways. Now, as far as before we dive into the like the setting up the specs of a bow, as far as accessories on a bow go, is is the moleskin is about as far as you take it? Or do you have other string silencers, other limb dampeners? Uh, you know, I, I know you shoot a stabilizer. Um, what else do you have on your bow? Well, good question, but. I'm I'm kind of giving it to you in order because I don't put anything else until I figure out where I need my brace height to be. Perfect. Okay. Well, then I didn't mean to mess you up. You nope. you already got it lined out. No, no, no. You're not you're not messing me up at all, buddy. That's the only thing that I'll that I'll put on. And and sometimes you can even go without it. Now, and I'll explain to you why. So now we've got a string on our bow. Now, it's it's time to take a look at the manufacturer's suggested brace height. Now, brace height and fist smell basically mean the same thing. And, you know, Aaron Dillon, this is kind of cool to me, and this is just a little history. Back in the old 
Saxon and Longbow and the, you know, Battle of Agincourt, all that good stuff. You know, when, when, when man started using longbows, um, they knew it was very important that each bow had its own sweet spot, if you will, where it would shoot the best because it was wood and there was a string and, and everybody shoots a little different, maybe a little heavier, or a little lighter arrow. So they developed something. There, there was a term that was called fist smell and fist smell meant you would take your hand in a fist. So like if you're going to give your brother a thumbs up right now, that's fist smell. And you would use that to measure the distance between your riser and your string. So you would take the bow and put your hand on the inside of your riser, have your thumb up in the air, and then wherever that longbow string fell, that would be your fist smell. And you would shoot to find the perfect fist smell and then you would remember whether it was right where your nail started, you know, right at the tip of your thumb, maybe at your first knuckle. It was instead of carrying a tape measure or a T-square, it was a way for the old longbowman to figure out exactly where their fist mill or brace height needed to be. So brace height and again, fist mill, which is the same, basically the same definition, is strictly the distance between your string and the it's basically the riser or the handle of your bow. So on a long bow, that handle's kind of straight on a recurve. Um, it's indented as well as it is on some of the newer long bows. You've got a little bit of a cutout sometimes for where your hand goes. So you're going to measure from the inside of your handle where your hand would go to your string. Now, are you, do you still shoot to find that or do you? Oh, yeah. You've got to shoot to find that. Now, that's that's what I'm going to tell you. The most manufacturers have a suggested brace height. So your, you know, your Grizzly or your Magrizer or your whatever you're shooting, will, will they may say suggested brace height is nine inches. And some will just say, ah, here you go. Here's your bow. Here's your string. When you string it up, it should be pretty dang close. But I'm going to tell you how to shoot that bow the best and the quietest. And that's to start with that manufacturer-suggested brace height. Or you can just put your string on that comes with the bow or that you've bought to match that bow. And here's where it gets a little, little crazy. You've got two different types of strings that you can use. A continuous loop or a Flemish twist string. I'm I fall into the old school where I really prefer a twist string. And the reason is because it's easier you can adjust your brace height a little easier with it. And that's strictly a matter of twisting the string or untwisting the string. Now does it matter if you twist from the top or from the bottom? Excellent question. So you can twist either way, but it's easier to twist from the bottom because when you unstring your bow you're just going to let that big loop slide right down the limb and then you can pull the string off the bottom and then your string still attached to your bow so you can twist it i got you now what do you do what are you doing in order to find out do i add or take away twists so this is the simplest part you are going to be able to listen to it and tell a difference so let's say 
they suggest the brace height of nine inches just to use, a, or eight and a half, just to use an arbitrary number. So if from the handle of your bow, where your hand would go to your string is supposed to be eight and a half inches, you're going to start there. So you may have to un, you may have to take your bow down, twist a few times, put it back on the bow, take it off, twist it a few more times up or down until when you measure with either a bow square or with a tape measure, when you get to that eight and a half. Now, once you, it used to be with the B50, a lot of it depends on the string material you use. Um, most of the materials now don't stretch too much, uh, but it's a good idea to continually check that, especially on a brand new string, because it may change a little bit as it heats up and stretches a little bit on the bow. But get it set at eight and a half and then shoot the bow. And this is where I like to have somebody with me, although I can do it myself and usually hear it. But you shoot the bow. Now think of tuning a guitar. Um, you know, if you've ever watched anybody tune a guitar, um, you know, my dad used to ding, 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 you know, and tighten that little deal on the top of the guitar. I obviously don't play one because I have no idea what it's called. But <laughs> tighten that little deal or loosen it until it sounded right. And uh, it's the same thing with a bow. You start at eight and a half inches, shoot your bow, and see what it sounds like. Now, to get the arrow, I basically would follow an Easton chart, uh, you know, again, Three Rivers has got a great, you know, they they can tell you if you say, I'm shooting a, a bow that's this long and uh, I draw it this far and the poundage is this much at my draw, then they'll go based on your arrow length or your draw length, they can use either, and your poundage of your bow, then we suggest this sized arrow. So you're going to shoot that arrow. You're going to put a knock on the string first once you have your brace height where you need it. And you can fine-tune your knock set later, but right now I usually start with even, so the arrow straight across, an eighth of an inch above, quarter inch, whatever feels right. A lot of that depends on whether you're shooting a large aluminum or a wooden arrow or a smaller carbon chaff, which has a smaller knock. And you can even eyeball it. Really, that's one of those things you can look across the shelf and go, all right, that looks pretty flush right there. Now I'm going to keep throwing some things at you because... Some bows come with a pad. Some recurves long bows come with a shelf already glued on there. Before you put your knock set on, make sure it's on. If not, you can take the little sticky off and put your rug rug plate on your shelf. And then it usually has a little side plate to put on the riser. So the arrow isn't actually hitting wood or hitting metal. So once you have the brace height, your knock set, and then your shelf and your little side plate on. Then you're going to draw the bow back and you're going to shoot it with whatever grain, you know, which whatever arrow broadhead mix you want to shoot that matches the arrow chart. Now, here's the fun part, guys. Even though they have a chart for all that, you're still going to have to tweak that a little bit, sometimes based on your shooting style and which finger you put the most pressure on. So I'm not trying to throw you guys. Sorry, Aaron. I'm not trying to make it more than it is, but it's kind of <laughs> like explaining somebody how to check, uh, you know, before they hop in a vehicle, you want to make sure that your headlights, you know, get turned on and blah, 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 all the steps you go through. And once you do it, then it's second nature. Now, what are you, uh, and maybe I missed this, what are you listening for specifically once you go to shoot? 
I'm glad you asked. You're listening to whichever distance, brace height, makes that bow shoot the quietest. So, okay. so you're going to start at the manufactured suggested brace height. You're going to shoot the bow a couple times. And then I like to go three twists at a time. And I start by going up. But people have, that's an individual preference. So you're, by going up, you mean you're increasing the brace height. So you're adding twists. You got it. Okay. So I'm adding three twists to the string. And then I'm putting my string back on and I'm shooting again. And then I'm shooting it again. Three twists, three twists, three twists. Now to me, this is the fun part of setting up the bow because I'm sure you guys have heard people shoot a recurve and jumped like, oh my gosh, that thing sounds like a, a wood slapping. It sounds <laughs> horrible. And I hear people all the time, I'll go to a 3D shoot or be shooting at a range or have friends. And you're like, oh my gosh, dude, we have got to, we have got to adjust that bow. It's horrible. Um, a lot of people think there's a lot of adjustment on a compound, which there is. But with a recurve, there's adjustments there as well that you need to do to make it shoot the best. So the fun part with that brand new bow or, you know, that you've got recurve or longbow is to find that perfect brace height or fist mount, to use the old term. So you twist up and down. And I usually, if the manufacturer's brace height, suggested brace height is eight and a half. I'll take it all the way up to maybe nine and a quarter and I'll take it all the way, you know, down to seven and three quarters. And sometimes I'll make little notes like, Oh, that was pretty quiet. Oh, and you'll find a spot. Oh, I'm starting to get louder now, starting to get louder. And it's the same way when you go down, you'll find that sweet spot. And then, Oh, it's starting to get more limb slap. I'm, it's starting to get louder again. And you'll find that spot where it's absolutely the quietest. Then you want to mark that, mark that down. If you look at, uh, Oh, people tease me sometimes because they've caught it on video before, but I'll usually write it on my quiver. Um, you know, like on my mag riser, it's nine inches. So, you know, I have nine inches. Now I take the, I take the little uh, plastic handle off my bow. I like shooting just the, the metal, you know, I use the metal um, as a handle. I don't have a, uh, I don't have the handle on it. I like to take mine off. That's because it just sits in my hand a little better and, you know, it's got less room to twist right and left. That's just a personal preference. So I've got a question for you. Shoot. What happens if you find that, you know, six twists down and six twists up are about the same level of noise? How do you decide to go longer or shorter? Then put it right in the middle because you will find a spot, I assure you. With every bow, as you twist up or as you twist down, where that bow will make a lot more noise. Okay. Now, so is it making a lot more noise at nine inches, and then it starts to make a lot more noise down at eight, then put it at eight and a half. And write that on the bow. Write that on your riser. Write that on your, you know, on your quiver. Make a note in your phone for that particular bow. And... What'll help you once you have that, because if you take that bow down and go on a hunt and your string comes off or it's a takedown bow and you untwist your string or you're traveling, it's really hot. You don't want that, you know, bow sitting in the, you know, in the car strung the whole time where it may get, you know, the string may get cut or whatever. You're going to take that bow down quite a bit one way or the other. And you want to be able to set that bow up exactly where it was when you tuned it. Now, 
Will, you mentioned you mentioned doing this with the arrow setup you're going to shoot. Will changing arrows affect the brace height? It can because you're shooting either a lighter or a heavier arrow potentially. So it may like a little different brace height if you're going to change that. So if I change something drastically, then I'll do it again. But usually you'll find that spot where that bow is going to, going to be the quietest. And once it's the quietest and you figure it, figure that out, it'll be pretty close to there. Even if you do change arrows. So I, I think I know the answer to this question after the answer you just gave to his question. Um, this changes between people like with the same bow. Like if I were to borrow Dylan's bow, I would probably need to find the sweet spot with me shooting it, right? And that's a great question, Aaron. And yes, because you may draw that bow another half inch longer than your brother or a half inch shorter, or you may torque the bow a certain way. You might might put a lot more, you know, you may be drawing a lot more with your bottom finger or your top finger. And a lot of people torque the string real bad with their bottom finger. So I'm going to tell you guys something. You got to try this. Draw your bow and look in the mirror. So take your bow, no arrow, draw back in your mirror at your house, in your bathroom, wherever, and and look. And what you want to try and do is have that string as straight as possible. But what you'll see is a lot of times that string will come down and then arc way out on that bottom finger, and then it'll cut back in and go down. If you do that, you'll go, oh, wow, I'm really torquing my string. And that can be a way to help you out. And another way to help, you know, not only improve your shooting, but keep you from torquing the string too bad. So say it again, which, which way you're looking for that? You're just looking for a string that goes straight down. So the reason... Uh, and let's let's take a compound analogy. Um, a release works so great with a compound because it's taken out a lot of human error. Right. You, you draw that that release back, releases pivot so that string is perfectly straight straight up and down, top limb, bottom limb. You draw it back, look in the mirror. It's going to be straight. With a recurve or a longbow or even a compound, if you're shooting fingers. The biggest thing is consistency. So even if you do torque the string to a degree, as long as you torque it the same way every single time, you're going to be fine. But if you're getting started and you you don't want to learn bad habits, it's a great way to figure out if you're torquing the string a lot. So essentially, and this, this, I might be completely wrong, but essentially, so if you're shooting, say, three fingers under, you want to have the majority of the weight of that string on your middle finger. That way, there's kind of just one point of of weight. Am I am I wrong or am I? I mean, the less contact you can have with the string, the better. So that's why you're not putting it on your middle knuckle. You know what I mean? You're putting it on the tips. Most guys are running it on the on the uh, first knuckle from the point of their finger or in between that. So. Yeah, the less pressure and torque you have on that string, the better and the more even it is. So in other words, if I if I was strong enough to shoot my recurve with one finger, I would do it. Especially hmm. if I could draw it back with just the tip of my one finger, because then, then I would have very little right. very little torque, very little, you know, just a perfect, a lot better release. But very few people are strong enough to do that. I'm certainly not. So do, do a lot of people shoot two fingers or is that... 
I know people that shoot two fingers, but you know, let's still go with three because it's the most comfortable. But I'm just saying to to stop bad habits or or to set up, you know, set yourself up right. It's kind of nice to look in the mirror and see if you're torquing. And that, you know, there's so much to this, guys, but it also goes to some guys grip their bow too tight. And I've seen guys draw and literally torque their bow and pop their string right off because they're torquing their bow handle, you know, their bow handle hand too much. Right. You want to have, you know, kind of a loose grip, just like with a compound, just enough to hold on to that bow when you shoot it. But you don't want to you don't want to torque it either on the riser side on the handle or the string side. But it'll be fun. I'm telling you, when we get done with this, you need to you need to draw it and look in the mirror and you might go, whoa. <laughs> it's, it tells it's, me I will. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of it's kind of a little deal, but oh, I'll keep kind of running through. I don't want to make it too too confusing. But once you find that spot where it it shoots the quietest, now it's time to do the fine tuning on on your bow. So once I find that spot, then if I'm going to add yarn to the tips that'll hit that moleskin and quiet it even more, or cat whiskers, or puffs or the little rubber deals or Sims, you know, or, you know, if you're going to put the little dampeners on your limb, now's the time to do that after you've already found where that bow shoots the best, that sweet spot for that particular bow. And don't think that just because you have two of the same model bows, you know, you get two, you know, two grizzlies, 60 inches long, they may have a different brace height between the two because you're shooting wood limbs. Now that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah, guys are hand sanding usually those limbs down to get them to the poundage. So each bow, to me, each wooden bow, I mean, it is it is a work of art. Uh, same with custom bows. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever had the pleasure of going to Bear Archery. When I worked at Bear Archery, I would watch those guys in the back, you know, and you could see them sanding the limbs down. And I mean, that's that's each bow is its own individual. It's a work of art, and so each one shoots. A little, you know, it might have a little bit different brace height where it shoots the absolute best. Now, you mentioned 60 inches. So, do you ever, so after you found brace height, do you even concern yourself with, with AMO or do you still measure that? Well, so a- a- AMO really has no difference. You're, you're confusing some things. So, AMO just stands for the Archery Manufacturers Organization. And the AMO came about, and now it's you know, Archery Trade Association. But AMO, basically the reason they, they started stamping bows with AMO standards was to make a standard across the industry. So if people said, this is a 60-inch bow, everybody was measuring it the same way. Okay. Um, so, you know, if you have a 62-inch, you know, 62 AMO bow, then it's going to be the same for everybody. And then a 58 or 59-inch string AMO will fit that 62-inch bow. Are you following me? Yes, perfectly. Um, so so AMO, so I've always thought AMO was was you measuring, you know, the tip to tip to make sure it was it was hitting AMO. So I, I'm just wrong in, in thinking that. Yeah, so AMO is just a standard across okay. the industry so that you know guys could get strings and there was and so there was a standard like what a 56 I got you. 62 you know inch bow was um what string length would fit with that so literally they came up with that because bows were being manufactured all over the place and in the i think it was the 60s they came up with the archery manufacturers organization which was just a standard literally so guys would get 
you know, strings that match bow lengths or lengths, you know, bow lengths that would match a string. So you never actually, you never measure tip to tip for any reason. No, you don't, you don't have, you don't have to do that unless you have a bow that you found in your grandfather's closet and you're trying to figure out, right. Oh man, I got to find a string for this thing. Um, You take it to an archery shop and they'll maybe try some different strings to get it, you know, to get it close, but that's why they standardized it. So you, yeah, you don't have to, worry about ammo unless you're going to buy a string um and you go okay i need uh, a string for a 60 inch bow and they'll say oh well ammo standard for 60 inch bow is this string i got you so uh before we move on let me give a quick thank you to our friends over at selway uh again i know you're a fan of those guys over at selway um they just they just sent me a uh, a custom quiver uh, that has the hunting one-on-one podcast logo on it. And it is absolutely incredible, but they also make, uh, the grayling quiver, which is bear archery branded. Um, and, and they worked with our friend, Chris Prino on that. Uh, so go check out Selway archery because in my opinion, they make the best quivers for a recurve, uh, that you can get. So go check out our friends over at Selway archery. Um, now after you have found brace hot, you mentioned fine tuning and kind of those extra accessories, uh, what do you recommend a guy run as far as extra accessories? Well, and that, that's so much personal preference. So, uh, you know, I hunt different locations like a lot of guys, and uh, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the puffs uh, or the yarn as much anymore, just because I've hunted where it's snowing and raining, and it adds a ton of weight to your string, which will change your impact. Um, you know, if if you've ever had rain or icicles on your puffs and then tried to shoot it and water goes flying everywhere it's just it could be a little bit of a hassle so i'm a little bit more of a fan of some of the rubber dampeners because they're not impacted by you know inclement weather whether that's snow rain things like that so adding you know say cat whiskers to your string um does that affect what you've already done with with brace height because you know you got to separate your string and, and add does that does that change anything? It, it's it. There are subtle differences, but you know, it's just going to make it quieter. So now you're doing things to make it even quieter. You've already found the sweet spot of that bow, and then whatever you add should, and you want to put those even. It's very important to measure it. So those, you know, puffs or cat whiskers or the little rubber dampeners are even. So they're not they're not swinging at different times. You see what I mean? It's like a timing issue. So. I kind of want to jump back one step. Um, once you have, because you mentioned kind of rough guessing that knock point to, to set brace height. So now that you've got brace height set, do you do any, I mean, do you go back and, and precisely measure knock point or does that come into tuning once you, you know, found your arrows, once you walk through that process, does that walk me through that process? No sweat. So your original knock set that I had you put on was just so you could shoot the bow and kind of find that sweet spot on the bow. Now, once your bow's set up, you know, you've got that brace height and then you're putting on cat whiskers or whatever else you want to put on it. You don't even have to put anything on it. It just, you know, some of those things will help quiet the bow down a little bit more. Once you have that, then you want to start tuning your arrow. So that's when I like to shoot a bear shaft. And we could talk about bear shaft tuning for a long time, but you know, you want to, you can play with your point weight a little bit. You can play with your arrow length. Um, the shorter you make your arrow, 
it's kind of like making a stiffer arrow because it's not going to flex as much. The longer you leave your arrow, it be, <laughs> it acts like it's weakening the spine because it's going to flex more due to Archer's Paradox. Are either of you guys familiar with Archer's Paradox? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, great. So that's basically, to make it simple, is, you know, as soon as you let that string go, that arrow flexes and then gets propelled forward. So you'll see that that arrow's flexing. If you look at some really cool uh, slow motion videography of, of arrows doing that, um, but you want to find that perfect amount of flex that'll keep that arrow going straight. So that's the reason a lot of guys bear shaft tuned. And there's all kinds of videos. I've written articles about it. Um, I've got stuff on bear shaft tuning as well. Um, I've got a YouTube on shooting a properly tuned uh, bow, um, a, a YouTube video on it. And it shows me shooting a bear shaft, I think at 20 or 30 yards. Um, but if you're, if you get the perfect spined arrow, perfect point weight up front, then and the perfect knock set, knock set, because you may have to tweak that knock set up or down a little bit, you should be able to take a bare shaft with a field point with no feathers on it, and at twenty yards, just just slam a, a target, just just arrow after arrow. That's how you know you're dialed in. And like I said, this isn't a, you know, unfortunately there's so many little things to it that it would take us you know, right. day to go over it, but I'm kind of, kind of breaking it down, trying to go a little more simply with you. And, and once you have that, that bow set up, then you want to start doing the little tweaking to tune that arrow. So it flies perfectly. Now, one yeah. of the things, one of the things that I will do sometimes, um, if I have a flat shelf, um, like on the, the mag riser, it has a, a flatter shelf, a long shelf. So there's a lot of arrow contact on that shelf so if you're looking at your bow right now or if you look at it after this conversation and lay your arrow on the shelf of your bow you'll see that there's you know a couple inches of contact there i will try and reduce the arrow contact on my shelf by sometimes putting a nail or a toothpick or something like that underneath the shelf i'll peel it back up slide it in lay that back down so i have a little bump that my arrow's sitting on just a tiny little rise in that, in that shelf. So I have very minimal contact of my arrow on my shelf. That's a good little tip. You've given me several little things where I'm like, man, I, how come nobody else has told me that before? Oh, um, so, no problem. It's just little things like that that can, and so that can help you out when you're tuning. Like if you, if you find it shoots great off, off the, you know, off the straight shelf, then no issues. I prefer a little less contact because um, the less contact you have, the better it'll shoot. And that's the reason to, to again, put it in a compound analogy. That's the reason the drop away arrow rests work so well is because when you shoot that, that arrow rest is dropping away. So there's nothing to impede that arrow going through. It's not contacting your feathers or your veins. It's just that arrow pew, shooting through there. Now, you know, like I said, we will do a, a full kind of arrow breakdown and how to select arrows, how to how to find what spine works for you, and we're going to do that with Mr. Uh, Aaron Schneider. Um, are you a, you mentioned Easton um, charts. Are you an Easton guy? Uh, I am. I have been forever. I shot my first year with an Easton arrow when I was ooh, in my teens, and uh, we'll probably shoot my last one 
with an East Narrow, unless uh, something else uh, amazing comes out there that I think is a lot better. But you know, now they are uh, they're they're great friends of the show, and uh, you know they just um, they just released that that Axis four millimeter, which is a a a, a small diameter arrow, and uh, I think that's what I'm going to shoot um, out of my mag riser. But uh, again, I'll dive all into that um, in the next episode with Schneider. Um, I was shooting those out of my bow yesterday. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome little arrows, man. But uh, make sure and go check out Easton's full lineup of arrows uh, because they've got anything you need for compound or traditional. Um, they've got that that Axis lineup is just absolutely fantastic. I shot the Axis traditional out of my bow up until that four millimeter came out, um, and so I think that's what I'm going to switch to. Uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a small diameter guy, but again, we'll kind of dive into all of those reasons uh, with Schneider in the next episode. Now, Three Rivers is a great. You know, is a great way to get dialed in with the proper arrow as well. Those guys are so great on the phone. If you call them up, they'll tell you, "Oh, give us your, you know, give us your length, give us your poundage, what grain point you want to use," and they will literally say, "Here's some options for you that should work well," and then they can ship them right to you. Yeah, Three Rivers is great for that, and I, uh, I spend a lot of time on the phone asking those guys questions. Um, now. We are going to have what what I'm so incredibly excited about this episode. We're going to have a story sharing episode to kind of end this traditional series uh, with with you, Fred, and with uh, Aaron Schneider, Clay Hayes, um, and Jim Willems. Um, so more wisdom and and experience with the recurve than than you could probably get on any other podcast. And we're just going to share fun stories uh, and have a good time talking hunting with the recurve, but. I did recently see, uh, I was on a hunt with Alec in South Texas, and uh, and he showed me some footage of you uh, and, and a fox. And, and it was one of the funniest, best scenes I've ever seen in a hunting show when that fox comes around that rock. Um, so so you got to share that story with us, man, uh, oh, before I let you go. That was horribly embarrassing. Um, <laughs> that was the best thing I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, dude, that scared me to death. Well, I was, it was, it was a blast. I was, you know, I was hunting Kodiak Island. I'd shot a beautiful, uh, I'd lured in a, a Sitka blacktail buck with a decoy. I was using Montana decoy and I shot one at five yards. And then I shot another beautiful Sitka blacktail at 40, um, uh, with my, with my recurve. And so I decided to go out and do some fox hunting and for foxes, I, man, you can, you can only take two and, uh, you have to carry a weapon with you. You don't have to, but it's a good idea when there's brown bears all around. And they had a lot of, I think the guy I talked to, they'd had 30 DLP bears that year, which means defensive life and property where you have to shoot the bear or it's going to kill you. Um, so, you know, brown bear were, were, were on my mind a lot. And especially when you're sitting on the island, uh, one of the guys we were out with was like, man, I don't, I don't know if sitting there sounded like a wounded dying animal on Kodiak Island really the smartest thing in the world to do i'm like well that's all right you know I'll, I'll, I'll we'll keep our eyes out we'll be ready you know and we'll try and run a bear off if we call one in but i was trying to call foxes in and i had already called in a beautiful red came in i shot it and my 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 plan was to hopefully see a fox coming grab the recurve and shoot it but i also felt the responsibility of man i got a cameraman with me one of my buddies has been working for with me and 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 for me for like 10 15 years so i've also got to kind of think of him and you know, if a brown bear comes around, you know, I've got to kind of protect us both. But I had a shotgun and my, and my, and my bear mag riser recurve leaning against the rock. 
and I could see all the way down the beach. So I thought, man, I'll have plenty of time to react if a fox or a brown bear shows up. And I don't know how it did. It ran straight down a cliff, but a jet black fox, and it ran around the rock. And the first time I saw it, it was, I don't even know, two feet from my face. And it it ran up right in front of me. And man, I just, I jumped backwards. It was the first reaction. I jumped backwards away from my bow and my shotgun. And that little fox, when I jumped backwards, held its ground and growled at me. And I was like, you hit, once I realized it was a fox, all was fine. But in my mind, a brown bear was about to eat me. And I was, oh man, it scared me to death. I've, been, was, I've had all kinds of, I've been bitten by alligators, charged by brown bears, charged by leopards. I've had all kinds of crazy experiences, but that little black fox scared me to death. No, <laughs> you did end up shooting it. I did. I grabbed, well, I, and it's funny, if you watch the video, I'm like, I'm going to grab my recurve because the fox held its ground. And so I reached over to get my recurve. I dropped my pack, reached over to grab my recurve, and the fox took off running around the corner. And I thought, no way am I letting this black fox get away. And I, I grabbed a shotgun and shot him going up the hill. But yeah, it was a, it was a pretty awesome, uh, it was a pretty awesome experience. A little, little crazy. Little now crazy. you have given me my new favorite saying from that video, and it was "Holy chowder." He <laughs> jumped, you jumped back here and said, "Holy chowder!" That thing about bit me, and uh, <laughs> and I've been saying that ever since, man. It's just, uh, it stuck. It stuck with me. <laughs> well, well, good. Well, I hope you got a few tips. I know it's a lot to kind of absorb. Um, but there is, like I said, I've got a YouTube video that talks about shooting a bear shaft, um, you know, shooting, shooting a properly tuned bear shaft and what it'll do. Um, but you can watch that. And there's all kinds of stuff on bear shaft tuning. Once you have that bow set up and that brace height set, then you can start to play and, and get dialed in. Now, do you know, do you know Clay Hayes at all? I can't say I know him. He does, um, he puts out a, a ton of good video content. Um, so go check out his video stuff, you know, on, on all these things, on, on tuning and selecting arrows and setting up these, these uh, brace height. Go check out Clay Hayes. He puts out some awesome videos. Um, now, Fred, before we go. ClayHayes.com or what's his? Uh, what, um, I don't know. I just watch him on YouTube. Um, okay. Yeah, so I could just look it up on YouTube. There's some great, man, there's some great information out there on on setting stuff up, which is awesome. The, the amount of, uh, you know, not only experience, but knowledge out there now versus, you know, when I was doing it, it was, it's, it's amazing. People know so much more with, you know, slow motion videography and, you know, there's some great shooters out there. So you guys are fortunate. There's a lot of really cool info out there now. There's a, you mentioned this, this slow motion footage of the um, Archer's Paradox. There's a really cool, video on the smarter everyday youtube channel that's how i knew about the archer's paradox he he breaks it down and does all the math behind it and it's it's pretty cool yeah it's 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 amazing and you know i think we've learned leaps and bounds as far as you know what exactly is happening and how to get it dialed in and how to play with different you know size feathers and you know smaller feathers and what you can get away with and you know that's fun too i you know i use those little bitty gateways just because i want the smallest feather i can shoot because it's quieter faster you know less impacted by wind so once you have that bow set up you just have a lot of options you know shield cut parabolic there's there's so much to it for a new guy to absorb because there's so many things out there you can you know you can you can try or use or do now fred you have already given me 
uh, a couple really good tips, but uh, but you know Fred uh, was big on his field notes. Uh, so what's one thing? Um, what's one thing you've learned in the field? Just a quick little tip uh, that we can take and put in our back pockets and make us a better hunter. Um, not having properly tuned equipment. Um, I, I missed a. I can't say I've ever. Only one time in my life can I say I shot at a world record class animal, and it was a. Uh, it was a Columbia blacktail and it was pouring rain and my arrows, I'd been shooting great and I set it up pretty quick when I went on this hunt and the arrows were hitting the bullseye. Everything was hunky dory. This gigantic Columbia blacktail comes through in the rain, easy shot, 20 yards. He's following a doe in the rut. And I drew back 100% confident. I was going to smoke this thing. Um, I had a buddy behind me watching and I was like, Holy cow. This is it. I drew back and shot and my arrow did kind of a half barrel roll and shot right between the feet of that deer. And my buddy looked oh. at me and I looked at my buddy, this deer ran off and I was crestfallen. Like I had, I had no idea what had happened. This was 20 years ago, I guess. I was like, I, I, I can't even believe that happened. I, I, and so he's like, what happened? I was like, I have no idea. So I set up a pine cone, drew back, shot again, same exact thing. My arrows my feathers on my arrows were soaking wet. I was shooting five inch feathers at the time. I think it was, and they were soaking wet. And I said, we got to go back. we got to go back to camp. I got to figure out what's going on. Went back. I got a dry arrow. I set up target 20 yards, drew back and shot right in the bullseye. My arrow spine was so on the edge. It wasn't really the perfect spine, but the fed, the larger feathers were kind of compensating and helping that arrow fly through to where when that arrow was shooting like a bare shaft because the feathers were just stuck to the shaft with a big broad head on the front of it, it would not fly. Like it, it flew oh. out horribly. So that's part of why I became such a freak about having a perfectly tuned arrow. So it will shoot perfectly. And that's, that's one of those things. Um, and, and that's why I did the, the video I just told you about, like just to show people what you can do with a, with a properly tuned bare shaft. And if you, you know, it, it, it'll show you if you want to check it out, it's just the difference between, you know, taking an animal and not taking an animal. So, right. you know, and I think I named it shooting a properly tuned traditional bow. I know I want to go watch it immediately. So Fred, uh, you know, I couldn't, when I started building this list of who I wanted to learn from, um, when it comes to shooting a recurve, there's not one other person in the world other than the Tom Brady of bow hunting, uh, that I would have liked to learn from. So I appreciate you, um, setting time aside in your day to teach a couple of, of guys who, who frankly need the, all the help they can get, um, on shooting a recurve. And I'm excited, guys, uh, to end this series again. We're going to have an awesome uh, storytelling episode. Uh, and so if you want to hear more from Fred and, and just some of the fun stories, I do. In that episode, I want you to share that story of that Sitka uh, that you shot on that same trip because that was an awesome an awesome uh, harvest as well. Uh, but, Fred, man, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure and go follow the Icor family on all their social media accounts. And, uh, and make sure and go check out that video that Fred's been talking about. But Fred, again, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Me, you, and Aaron have a great day, and I hope that helped out a little bit. Absolutely. Thanks, Fred. All right. Thank you. Take care.